I was thinking about uh, mid-March uh, 2020 when uh, our Prime Minister Boris came on TV and he asked us all in a very sombre tone, for the good of the country and for the nation, would we stay at home for three weeks? And uh, he asked us, would we avoid all, on, uh, all non-essential travel? Would we uh, work from home? Would we go out for an hour a day just to exercise? Which for some of us was a major shock. Um, and uh, and, and he said, it's for the greater good. And he said, if we do this in three weeks, we will flatten the curve. Three weeks to flatten the curve. And we know those three weeks lasted a little bit longer. It's not like Boris to tell any lies. Um, but uh, he just wanted a Europartian. Um, but uh, sorry, I can't help myself sometimes. I didn't even say that at the first service and it wasn't streamed. Um, but uh, three weeks to flatten the curve became three major lockdowns and actually became two years of restrictions, which has had an incredibly negative effect on our world, on our society, on our young people, on our older people, on families, on, on mental health, on, on finances. Three weeks became two years. And we couldn't control that, but we could control our response to it to varying degrees. There were some things we couldn't control, but there were things that we, we could. And, and sometimes in our lives, we expect something to happen quickly, but it takes much longer. We expect a change to come quickly, but it doesn't happen as quickly as we'd hoped or dreamed or planned. We leave one job and we expect it, or, we, or we're made redundant, and we expect to get another job in a month or two, and six months later we're applying for every job and nothing has turned up. We come out of a relationship and we expect to meet somebody in two months, two years later. We haven't had another date. We are looking for breakthrough. We're looking for something to shift in some areas of our lives. And we've prayed our best prayers and nothing seems to be happening. What do we do in those times when it feels like we're hitting a wall? When it feels like the plans and the places that we want to go, that was just something blocking us there. You know, when the Israelites left Egypt for the promised land, that journey could have been done in less than two weeks. And yet we're told it took them 40 years. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And that's how it feels sometimes for us. Something that should have taken a week or two, gets prolonged. And what I want to think about today is why. Why we get stuck. Why do we hit a wall? Why do we struggle to move forward? And how do we push through that? And uh, I'm going to look at a number of reasons. And uh, the first one is this. And it's external factors. It's things that you can't control. Sometimes you get stuck not because of anything you have done, but it's something that's completely outside of your control. We read in John 5, and we're going to be coming back to this passage later on, about somebody who was stuck. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had an infirmity for 38 years. So there's a man there who hadn't been able to walk for 38 years. How had he ended up that way, we don't know. Some people think he was born that way. I personally don't. Because in the Bible, when we encounter someone that way, it normally says they were born blind or 
they hadn't been able to walk since birth. But it's very specific here. It tells us exactly how long he had been in this condition. 38 years. And it wasn't his fault. We don't know what happened to him. Maybe he was dropped as a child. Maybe he fell out of a window or fell off a roof. Maybe he had some degenerative condition that gradually got worse. We don't know, but we do know this. It wasn't his fault. Now, that was a culture where people looked at sick people and thought that physical illness was attached to spiritual sin. That's a very bad place to go. But for 38 years, this guy hadn't been able to walk. And it was through absolutely no fault of his own. And sometimes we're stuck through nothing we have done. In fact, we have done our best. We've given it our all. We've poured our hearts into it. And yet it didn't work out. We worked so hard in that job and we were so faithful to the company that they let us go. We were loyal in that friendship, but they betrayed us. We were faithful in our marriage, but they cheated on us. We've served God faithfully and honorably, but somebody in church hurt us or let us down. We have done everything right. Maybe we haven't been perfect, but we have done everything that we can do as best as we can, and there's not much more that we could have done. And sometimes things still don't work out. I mean, the last two years have been like that, like I say. We couldn't have chosen it. We didn't choose it. We couldn't do much about it. Yes, we could choose our response and how obedient we were to the restrictions. We could choose our response and how much fear we let into our lives. Yes, but largely a lot of things were completely outside of our control. Whether or not we could travel overseas or we could do or We had no choice. We had stuff that we had to go by. The current economic climate, with the bills rising and oil and petrol and gas rising and inflation, we can complain. We can try to cut back. But a lot of it is outside of our control. There's not a lot we can do about it. And so sometimes our lives get stuck, not because of anything that we have done. We've done our best. We've given it our all. But it's just something external. It's something that's completely outside of our control. Like this man in a culture where they don't have wheelchairs, they don't have wheelchair ramps, there's no disability allowance, he doesn't get a blue badge to park somewhere. That was not a culture that you wanted to be disabled in, that you wanted to have a disability in. And yet it was completely outside of his control. And so sometimes that's it. That's the first point. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. You can't control what happens to you. Yes, you can control your response to it to some degree or other. But it's outside of your control. But what I want to do, that, there's not much you can do about that. So why focus too much on that? Let's focus on the stuff we can control. And sometimes it's internal stuff. Sometimes it's choices. Sometimes it's things inside us that actually keep us blocked. And it's important that we understand that. Because sometimes we can be waiting on God to change our circumstances when God is waiting for us to deal with some of the stuff in our hearts that's keeping us stuck and tethered where we are. And we're frustrated and we're angry 
and we're disappointed and we're discouraged because things aren't moving. And God is actually saying, the problem is not with me, the problem is with you. I've been ready for quite a long time, but you won't deal with the, the internal stuff that's keeping you stuck where you are. When we first moved to Dublin in 2011, the church we moved to had no money. Um, they were broke. And uh, and so the, the housing budget in Dublin was very limited, and uh, the housing prices and the rent prices are extremely high. And so the budget being small, the house we ended up in was uh, pretty bleak, to be honest with you, for the first two or three years. Three years we were there. Um, there were rats in the house under the kitchen cupboards. I remember well Elijah as a little baby crawling on the kitchen floor and we could hear under the pelmets at the bottom of the kitchen cupboards. There was damp on the walls. There was one room that a cat had got in at some stage and peed and the smell just never went away. I mean, it was a lovely place to live. There was one night it rained heavily and the water literally just kept coming through the walls. Like it just, the water came through the walls into the house. Um, but one of the things that kept reoccurring was this. Our drains kept getting blocked. And for the first while I kept blaming Becky um, for using too much toilet roll. She's not, she was at the first service. Um, but uh, but I, I kept blaming her. And after a while it happened, probably every like month or two, the drains would get blocked. And uh, I realized there was a problem, and we would call it, each time we'd call it Dino Rod, or one of those companies that do that, and I have to say those guys earn every single penny that they, they get. Um, and, uh, and when they would come out, the block, they would try to find the blockage, because the blockage wasn't the toilet or the bathroom, the blockage was outside somewhere, in the underground pipes, in the back garden, or the ones that ran on the path outside the front of the house. And so their job was to try to find the blockage and once they found the blockage, then they could clear it. And they kept coming out, and they kept unblocking it, and then it kept getting blocked again. And I was getting more and more frustrated. And eventually, that one day, the guy came out, and, and I said, I want you to get to the bottom of this, because I am, I'm tired of having to call you out. And it was like 100 euro every time they came out. And I want you to find out what's causing this. And so he got his little camera, and he set a little camera down the pipe, and I was watching on the screen, and... I wish I hadn't. There's some things you can't unsee. Um, but he, he sent the, you know, he sent it down and there was nothing. That, and so he sent it down the back, the back of the garden, the back way. And, uh, and uh, he said, I've seen the problem. He said, these are old pipes. And one pipe where they're joined has pushed like that. And there's a little lisp, a little, a little cusp sticking up. And everything that flows past that, it just takes it to catch on one bit of toilet paper or one thing flowing past that, and that's creating the blockage. And once he had identified where the blockage was, we were able to clear it much, much easier. I actually ended up getting the set of rods myself. And uh, it's a really pleasant job, I have to say. If anyone ever has done it, you know just how lovely a job that is. But once we identified, he couldn't change the pipes but once we identified where the blockage was, it was much easier to clear. And in our own lives, sometimes we have blockages. We have places in our lives where we keep getting stuck. And we can just go, well, it's just, you know, it's just the way. But maybe sometimes actually we need to do a little bit of self-examination. If there's an area where we keep stumbling, if there's a place in our lives where we keep having dysfunction, 
You know, somebody said to me recently, like a while ago, I've been around, like, I can't remember the exact number, I've been around eight churches and every church has shafted me. And I'm like, you've been around eight churches and eight churches have shafted you. I think there's one common denominator there and it's not the eight churches. Like being really honest, there was something within them, let's just be brutally honest here, that they weren't able to look and go, why is it everywhere I go there's a problem? Because the problem wasn't there before they arrived. And sometimes we need to be honest in our self-examination and go, is there something within me? Is there something in my behavior, in my mindset, in my attitude, in the way I'm living that is causing me to stay stuck? Otherwise, you're just going to stay stuck and stay in the blockage. And so what I want to do is just look at some of those blockages, some of those places where we get stuck. And like I say, I have seven or so of them. I'm going to get through about three more here, and then we're going to pray that God will free us from them. But the first one is this, habitual sin. Our own sin can keep us stuck. That there's things in our hearts, things in our lives, attitudes, actions, behaviors, things we're doing that we know are wrong, that we know are contrary to the word of God, but we keep on doing them and we persist in that lifestyle and we wonder why we're not advancing. And again, the problem isn't with God. God has been ready to move us for a long time, but we can't move because we're stuck in some sinful place here and if God were to move us it would expose us or we would carry that junk with us and we would destroy where we go and so God wants us to deal with this stuff here a number of years ago I sat I spent the afternoon with another pastor of a a large church and I really liked him he was a great guy and and I just we had a wonderful afternoon together but I could tell I could tell two things I could tell he was tired and I could tell he was really frustrated And on the surface, he seemed to have this incredible church and an amazing church building. But he was tired and he was frustrated. And I got chatting. I said, what's wrong? I said, this looks like you've got the dream. This is everything you wanted. He said, Craig, I'm just frustrated. We haven't grown in two years. We had lots of growth for years. And he said, for the last two years, we haven't grown. Not like at all. We've totally plateaued. And I'm really frustrated. And he says, we've tried everything. We've tried new programs. We've tried to do this. We've tried to do that. We've, you know, we've gone to conferences. We've brought ideas back. And nothing is working. And I couldn't understand it because to me it seemed like a, per- a perfect environment for growth. And then six months later it came out he was having an affair with a girl half, the age, half his age in his church. He was married. The girl was married. They left their spouses and ran off and moved in together. And that had been going on for quite a while. I just wonder. I mean, this could be a long shot. I just wonder, was the fact that he was sleeping with a young girl from his church the reason why he was stuck? I just wonder, was the fact that he was living in habitual sin and he knew in his heart it was sin? And you say, well, maybe, you know, the, the, the stuckness made him go into the... You know what, sometimes it's a vicious circle, you know? He's frustrated and so he turns to self-medicate through the affair and the affair keeps him worse. I understand that. But sometimes we're stuck because of our own sin. Sometimes there's things in our hearts and our lives. And I'm not talking, listen folks, I'm not talking about the stumbles and the slips we all make every day. You know, we're trying to follow Christ. We all, none of us 
walk this walk perfectly. I'm not talking about that, okay? Otherwise, I would be completely disqualified right now. I am not talking about the normal stumbles and slips as we try to follow Jesus that we all experience. There's grace for those. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess your sin means to acknowledge your sin and it means to put it behind you. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this, is when there's sin in your life, habitual, continual disregard for God's word and you know God is convicting you, the Holy Spirit is telling you no, but you stubbornly refuse to repent and you keep going your own way and you wonder why things aren't going right. Can I say to you, God cannot bless sin and he will not bless disobedience. God cannot bless willful sin and he will not bless continued disobedience. For a while you'll get away with it, maybe. Remember the prodigal son, for a while he had a wonderful time. It seemed like actually just everything was great since he had left the father's house. And then it all comes crashing down. And that's what I've seen. For a while there's a grace period where God is wanting you to repent, where the Holy Spirit is convicting you, where he's telling you, you know what, please don't go down that road. Don't ignore the warning signs. And you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, and the Holy Spirit's convicting you, but I want this, and I'm having this, and I know it's wrong, but I'm doing it, and then the grace just lifts off you. The peace lifts off you. The blessing lifts off you. The favor lifts off you. And you get stuck. And you stop. And you're angry with God when actually you have stepped tethered to something here that is keeping you stuck where you are. And the only way you're going to move forward in that is through repentance and through getting rid of whatever is keeping you stuck. It's through coming to God in repentance and sincerely saying, God, I am sorry, I don't, I'm, I'm putting this away and I'm leaving it behind. Sometimes we block our own blessings, we get in our own way. You know, when Israel, the, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt and God wanted to give them their inheritance in the promised land, they got stuck because of their own sin. They constantly grumbled against God. They constantly complained. They constantly turned to idols and immorality. And eventually God just went, you know what? I have had enough. Look at what it says in Numbers 14. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised and oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. God gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And after they kept persisting, God just went, you know what? You're not going to enter what I've got for you. Because they refused to repent. And I know for a hyper-grace culture, hyper-grace is this, this view that many believers have at the minute that I can just live however I want. I can sin as much as I want because God's grace covers it all and there's no consequences. Can I tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. Paul says in Romans, shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? By no means. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is an empowerment not to sin. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so sometimes we're stuck because of our own choices and because we won't turn away from some stuff. And so maybe you need to be really honest about some habits, patterns, strongholds in your life that are keeping you stuck. Maybe you feel like you're walking around the same mountain but you're never making progress. Do whatever it takes to deal with that area.
Speak to a trusted friend. Speak to a mature Christian. Don't speak to me. I had this nightmare this morning where I thought of 66 people calling me this week with their stuck problems. Go see a counselor. I had somebody recently who messaged me about somebody who continually has an issue of blockage in their life. And they said, and I just said, go see a counselor. And they went, I have actually an appointment, but I had one before to cancel it because I feel like such a failure. I went, cut yourself on. One of my biggest regrets at times is not seeing a counselor. There were times when I really needed, some of you are like, you still need, I do. I, I, would, st- I would go to a counselor tomorrow. I, I think we all could do with a bit of counsel. We all need somewhere just to offload at times. Just do, go to freedom in Christ, go to Sozo, go to some sort of ministry. But don't stay stuck because once you've identified that's a blockage in your life, then it's up to you. You have the responsibility to do something to get unstuck. Second area where we get stuck is when we violate spiritual laws. When we violate spiritual laws. Now, God has set physical laws in place like gravity. And we violate them at our own detriment. Now, I don't care how great you are. If you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, you're violating the law of gravity and it's not going to go well for you. And it's the same with spiritual laws. God has set spiritual laws in place in the world. One of these that's the most obvious one is the one of sowing and reaping. We reap what we sow. You see that right in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 8 it says this, As long as the earth endures, which is now, seed time and harvest will never cease. Paul says in Galatians, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. And so sometimes when we are stuck in life, we are simply reaping in this season the seeds that we have sown in all of their previous weeks, months, years of our lives. We don't like the fruit that's growing now, but if you plant apple seeds For three years, don't be shocked if apples appear on the tree. Don't get angry at the fruit. Look at the seeds that you've planted. And some of us plant apple seeds and want oranges to grow in our lives. But the Bible says, you reap what you sow. And some people are stuck, not even because of what they're doing now, but because of the seeds that they have sown through years and we think that oh, it's just a decision, it's just a choice, it's just what. You know what, though, every time you make one of those decisions, every time you do, it's just another seed. And if you keep planting the same seed over and over again, you will get a harvest off that seed. If you only plant one seed of that, it'll probably be fine. If you plant 200 seeds of that over a period of three years, you will get a harvest of that thing in your life. And so some of us are simply living and the consequences of things that we have sown in the past. There was a a girl who I went to university with who was a, a wonderful Christian girl. She loved Jesus. Her desire was to go overseas and do mission and serve the Lord. And she's one of the people who just was brimming with potential. And then one night in final year at uni, she went out, had too much to drink, went home with a guy and got pregnant. And immediately she was full of repentance and regret and remorse. 
And since then, she has served God so faithfully. But can I tell you this? She didn't suddenly get unpregnant when she repented. And so she became a single mom at 21, 22. And she didn't go overseas and do missions. And she loves the Lord now. And she's, can I say she's married to a wonderful guy. They've got a beautiful... Every time I see them sometimes, and I'm just... Honestly, my heart's just filled with joy every time I see them. But she couldn't undo what she had done. God forgave her completely. It is under the cross. It is under the blood completely. But things can be forgiven, but we still have to walk in the consequences of what happened. And I think that's a confusion in our culture, in our Christian culture. We think forgiveness just means everything goes away. No. Sin has consequences. He forgives the sin, but sometimes the consequences remain. Somebody does something to you, you can forgive them, but you don't have to go back into the same relationship with them. You can completely release them from wanting to get back at them, but there's still consequences. That relationship has been possibly irreparably damaged. Because seeds were sown that can't be unsown. Other spiritual laws are things like honour. If you constantly show dishonour in your life. Honour is a currency of the kingdom. If you dishonour those who God calls you to honour, you'll not move forward. Generosity is a law of the kingdom. If you're stingy and you're broke, there's your answer. Honestly, I tried it. For years I didn't give or tithe. For years and I was, no matter how much, it was like I had holes in my pockets. And then I give, which means I should have less. And then I suddenly have less. Debt is the only thing I'd less off. If you're stingy, why would God give you more? If you're grumbling, if gratitude is a law of the kingdom. If you're grumbling about what you've got, why would God give you more? There's certain laws of the kingdom, certain spiritual laws, that if you go against them, you will get stuck. When you have broken spiritual laws, you can't turn things around by putting things right. You can own up, you can confess, you can ask for forgiveness, you can make restitution, you can untangle yourself. If it's generosity, you can give. If it's grumbling, you can become more grateful. But in other situations, you will receive grace, but you've still got to live in some of the consequences. But you can do that with with a sense of joy because God has forgiven you and you can walk into the fullness of His plan B for you. His plan, that girl's plan A was to go overseas. But I'm so thankful that it says, for I know the plans I have for you. And so she messed up plan A, but God had a plan B. And can I tell you, her plan B looks really good. She's a happy wife with a good life, with a great godly husband. So you can turn it around. But if she'd have went out every other, you know, six month year, and done the same thing again, her life would look completely different. There is grace. Number three, I'm going to, I'm going to skip this, but you've stopped growing. Sometimes we're, stopped, we're stuck because we've stopped. <laughs> we want more, but we don't want to be more. We hate our job and we want the promotion, 
but we're not willing to learn the skills to do the job. We, we want to go there, but we're, we, our capacity and our character, we've, we've limited them to here. Our, our dog, Henry, when we got him, he was a little pup. And I loved him when he was a little pup. And then he started to grow and he kept growing and he kept growing and he kept growing and he kept growing. And, he, and I was like, when is this dog? I mean, we would be out walking. People would be like, who holds your dog? We'd be like, six months. They'd be like, no way. I'd be like, yeah. And we're just like, when's he going to stop growing? And then suddenly, like pretty much, he just stopped growing. And he's staying pretty much the same size. Some of us are like that. We grew and we grew and we grew for the first wee while. And then we just bless you. We stopped. We just stopped growing. We just plateaued. And so we want more, but we're not willing to be more. It's like, we're like, I've bench pressed 50 kilos, put 100 kilos on. And we wonder why we're crushed. Because we haven't done the steps in between to build the muscle. And God would say to some of us, the only reason you're stuck is because you personally have chosen not to grow. You've stayed the same. You've plateaued. You've become complacent. Colossians 1 says this. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. How do we do that? Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Second Thessalonians, your faith is growing more and more. Second Peter 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember the parable Jesus told about the talents, the one talent, the two talents, the five talents? You know what I found? That I know a lot of five talent people who live a one talent life. How many of you, we all do, don't we? We know people who are filled with promise and potential and yet they, they, they got stuck somewhere and they settled for their one talent and you know that five talents. Or maybe they were living a five talent life and they went back to living a one or two talent life. The only way to get unstuck there is to grow. I'm going to skip number four, which is passivity and procrastination, because I am procrastinating about doing it. And number five, uh, internal blockages. Internal blockages. So you want to change. You're fed up with where you are. You know you need to change, but there's something inside stopping you. You feel inadequate and insecure. You don't think you have what it takes. Plus, what would other people say? They'd criticize you, they would mock you, they would tear you down. You tried something new before and it didn't work out. I mean, where you are right now, you don't like, but at least it's familiar. At least you know it. You know the old saying, better the devil you know? I'd rather not know the devil at all, if I'm being really honest with you. Some of you have hated your job for 25 years and complained every day. But you've never applied for anything else because it's a good, secure paycheck. And that's okay, but stop complaining. If you're not going to do something about it, stop complaining. You're choosing it. You see, we can't sometimes choose where we start or where we end, but we can't choose what we do when we get there. Sometimes we're convinced, well, others could do it so much better than me. We hear about opportunities to serve or to do something, and we go, oh. They, I would be, others, everyone would be better than me at that. 
Back to John 5 where Jesus encounters this man who hasn't walked in 38 years. He's lying by a pool. He's waiting for, there was a supernatural, superstitious thing going on. When the water stirred, the first one in got healed. And so he's lying there hoping that, that one day he might get his healing. And it says this in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? What a rude question. That is so insensitive. Would you walk up to somebody in Rushmere in a wheelchair and go, here, would you like to walk? I know we, like, it's honestly, it's so rude, it's almost uncomfortable to hear me say it, isn't it? Jesus does that right here. But there's something strange going on, because it says this, it says, hearing he had been, or he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. In other words, Jesus asked questions about this guy. Jesus looked at him and went, how long has he been like this? Tell me about about him. Perhaps Jesus knew something that we don't like to admit. That often we become comfortable in our condition, even if it's far from ideal. Often we become addicted to our affliction. We, we say we don't like it, we complain, we, but deep down it's become part of our identity. It gets us attention, it gets us pity, it gives us an excuse to complain. We get, it's, a, it's like a security blanket. This man had become comfortable in his condition. Every day he went and he sat in his little community, his little club of people who were just like him. And don't we love that? Don't we love to find people who, who have the same condition as us? Who we can go, yeah, you're, we we're all in this together. You've, things, I mean, mine's way bit worse than yours, but, but we're all kind of, you know, this is just, you know, and, and yeah, my husband treated me worse than yours did, but, but we're all in this, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, you hate your job, but my job's, but we're all in this together. You know, we love to sort of have surround people who, who kind of get us. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be well? And it's so bizarre, he doesn't answer the question. If you were disabled, if you, if you were paralyzed and somebody said, do you want to be well? Yes. Yes. He immediately goes to an excuse. I have no, verse seven, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water stirred. When I try to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He has this answer prepared. It's almost like this thing he has kept saying over and over again. This is the reason I am the way I am. It's not my fault. I have tried. It's somebody else's fault. Someone always gets there first. But even when I get close to it, they drag me back. They pull me back. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And maybe it wasn't, or maybe Jesus knew that he had come to the point where he had just stopped even trying to get into the pool. You know, you can dislike your current situation. You can talk about change all day long. But sometimes deep down inside of all of us, there is something resisting that change. And every time we start to make progress, it's almost like there's an elastic, like a bungee rope on our backs, and it pulls us back to where we are. Do you ever find that? That you, that you start to move into freedom, you start to get past the blockage, and, and you, or you start to get out of debt, or you start to put something behind you, or you start to leave that negative relationship behind, or whatever it is, and then you get pulled back. It's almost like, like there was a van I drove behind a few weeks ago. And it said in the back of the van, this van is limited to 56 miles per hour. You seen something like that? Yeah. The van could go faster, but they've put a device on it that limits its speed. It's called a governor. That's the name for it. I actually looked it up, a governor. <laughs> it's a good name for it, isn't it? 
It governs how fast it can go. And I think some of us in our lives have governors. Governors from growing up. Governors from our experience. Governors from our beliefs. Governors that keep us from fully entering the fullness of what God has for us. Because every time there's, we, we start to step into more, the governor goes, don't go any faster. You're 55, 55, 56, 56. Stop. Okay, and you retreat back again. There's something sometimes inside us that just pulls us back into the place that we're familiar with. I knew a couple years ago, I knew a family, a wonderful family, a wonderful family, good friends of ours. This is many years ago. And they had three kids. The kids were somewhere between sort of 10, 13, to 13, sort of that age. Two boys and a girl. And so there were the two parents, three kids, and they lived with his mum in a rough housing estate. And in case you think I'm being derogatory, it was rough. I'll tell you how rough it was. The first night we went for dinner at their house, it was one of those uh, estates that the streetlights had all been knocked out. And uh, we got out of our car and the people coming around the corner didn't see us because it was pitch dark. And all we heard was one of them said to the other, have you got the gun with you? Have you got the gun with you? Now, I grew up in Portadown. That's common parlance in Portadown. But even we were a little bit shocked. Do you know what I mean? Like, this was not a nice place, and they hated it. So there's the mum's got her bedroom, the couple have got their bedroom, and the three kids, the two boys and the girl, have got a bedroom. That is not a good condition to be. And they complained, they disliked. You, you, you could, I mean, there was, you agreed with every word they said. It's an awful neighborhood to bring up kids with no room. But they stayed there. And then I remember in the middle of a conversation after a while, they, they threw in, I mean, the council have offered us two houses, but they weren't suitable. And I'm like, all oh, right, that's weird. Like, you know, fair enough. Like, if it was that bad, you'd think you would. But anyway, I'm sure you're. And time went on, and as the kids then got older and towards the teenage years, it became untenable for two teenage boys and their sister to share a room. And so... I mean, they complained about the price of houses in Dublin, which, again, you could totally agree with. But they both got promotions in work. In fact, one of them got another job, one got a promotion. So they were earning more money. And they came to me and they said, Craig, do you mind if we don't tithe for a while? And I just said, look, that's your call. I will never guilt anyone into giving or tithing. It's your choice. And they stopped giving for 18 months. And you know what? For eight, after 18 months of new jobs and saving really hard, they had enough for a deposit for a house, and we were so happy for them. At last, they could have their dream. And I remember the day I phoned them to find out, you know, where are you moving to? And he said, actually, we've thought long and hard about it, and we're just going to build a wee extension on the mummy's house. And everybody was stunned. But I wasn't. Because by that stage, I had realized there was a governor inside them. And the governor said this, this is as good as you deserve. This is where you should stay. This is where you belong. And if you leave here, you will be in a place where you're uncomfortable because you're comfortable. And if you leave here, all the pity you get and all the sympathy you get and the story that you tell people about why you are the way you are and the way you live, that'll all be gone. And the governor wouldn't let them. 
they had a poverty spirit. Essentially, it was a poverty spirit. And the poverty spirit, it's a bit like people who win the lottery. They talk about people who win the lottery and five years later, they're more poor than they were before they won the lottery. Because the governor in them pulls them back. It's like a thermometer, sorry, like a thermostat. It keeps pulling them back. We can all have those in our lives. It can be insecurity and inferiority. I think that's a big one for many of us. I know for me it is, and has been for years, that sense of insecurity and inferiority, that feeling that, that people can do things better than I can. And part of, I realized recently that part of it came from me growing up. It was, and it was me, it was my issue. As I realized recently as a kid, because I realized I was still doing it today, that as a kid, I used to look at my friends and assume their houses were bigger and nicer than ours. And that their cars were better than ours. And that their lives were better than ours. And that they went on nicer holidays than we did. And that their clothes were better than mine. And I always felt a wee bit inferior. And I lived through that for so... You know what? It was so weird moving back here five years ago and driving around the places where they lived. And you know what? Some of their houses were nicer than ours and some of them were nowhere near as nice as ours. And I'm sure some of them had nicer stuff than we had and some of them didn't have nicer stuff than we had. But it was all in my head. It wasn't reality. My parents worked hard and we never lacked for a single thing. We weren't rich, but we never lacked for a thing. We had a good life. But in my head, everybody else had a better life. And I carried that through years. And I carried that into ministry. And as a minister, I looked at other ministers and went, they're more ministry than I am. And they probably are, like, let's be honest. But like, like they're more ministerial. And I used to feel inferior to them. And I used to think, they're real ministers. I am, you know, that, that imposter syndrome of, if they found out what I was really like. Some of you can relate. Like, if, you know, like, I don't deserve this. They do. Because they're more holy than I am. And if people found out what I was really like, it would all fall apart. When I started writing books four years ago, Honestly, I thought, who would want to read one single thing I would have to say? Like, who would care about what I would have to say? Like, who do you think you are? When I started Daily Prophetic on Instagram, I blocked every person I knew from accessing it. Because I thought, who, they'll look at me and go, who do you think you are? It's an inferiority and security thing. And you know what? It's just based on a lie. And we all have it. We are all insecure and we're all feeling inferior at times. And you know what I've discovered? It doesn't go away. Like, if I honestly, as a kid, you assume by the time you're 46, you'll not be dealing with this rubbish anymore. And you, it still keeps rearing its ugly, fat head. And you know what? Every time you have to punch it in the head and speak truth over it. Because it just keeps coming up. I think there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people watching that know exactly what I'm talking about. You always assume that somebody else can do it better than you. Or that they're better looking than you. Or they're more gifted than you. And it may or may not be reality, but most of it is in your head. And the way to, the only way to deal with it is to confront it with truth. And we'll talk about that in a second. 
Listen, in fact, let's go. Let's go to, really quickly, give me four minutes, give me three. How do we break these blockages? Because there's no point in talking about them without breaking them. How do we break these blockages? Ask yourself the hard questions and be really honest. Ask yourself the hard questions and be really honest. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? That was an uncomfortable, hard question. And I would say to you, do you want to get well? For some of you, you would love to complain for the rest of your life about something, but you don't want to do anything about it because it's too costly or it will, it, it, it'll change your, you, you want your circumstances to change, but you don't want to change. Are there some payoff that you're getting from what you're doing? In fact, anything harmful that we do or destructive, the only reason we do it is because we get a payoff from it. And the payoff is greater than what it's costing us. And until we decide, actually, this is costing me more than the benefit I'm getting, we will keep doing it. But ask, be really honest, why do I keep doing this? Is the problem me? I know I've blamed 600 other people for this thing in my life, but I wonder, is there something within me that is causing me to live like this? Like the famous Christian Augustine in the 4th century said this, Lord, make me pure, just not yet. <laughs> I, I, I can do it. Lord, I want to be holy, but I kind of want to have these other areas in my life. You know, I just, I really want to be holy, especially just before Jesus returns or I go to heaven. Or on a Sunday morning before I go to church. Be really honest with yourself. Ask yourself the hard questions that only you can answer. Secondly, ask yourself, have I come into agreement with any lies that are keeping me where I am? I had. And I, I still, I'm getting through it, I have to be honest. But I had come into that agreement about being inferior to other people. That other people were better than me. That they had more than me. And actually it was only in coming to understand the lie that I was able to replace it with the truth. It was only when I actually faced up to the lie and actually drove around some of their houses and have met some of them 30 years on and realized there was no difference. It was all in my head. But I confronted the lie and I've replaced it with truth. Are you willing to pay the price of change? You see, we want what other people have, but we're not willing to do what they have done. And we look at other people and we go, look at them. huh? They've, they've, they've got it set for them. But you could do the same thing or something similar, but you choose not to. If you're not willing to pay the you know, I, I tell the story, but I was going to see Dream Girls, I'm embarrassed to even say it, Dream Girls in California once, and we were, the seats were so far back at a nosebleed, and I was grumbling the whole way through it, grumbling because it was Green Dream Girls, and grumbling because I, my head was getting sore because I couldn't see. And I just want the Lord to say this, the people down there paid for their seats, you got what you paid for. Don't complain about what they've got if you weren't willing to pay the price that they're willing to pay for what they've got. Ask yourself, are there people in my life keeping me stuck? Are there people in your life keeping you stuck? Are there people in your life that every time you start to move forward, they pull you back? You know, like the crab getting out of a bucket, the other crabs pull them back down again. We live in a culture like that. 
You're getting a bit big for your boots, aren't you? You've changed. Yes, I know. That's the plan. But they like you just the way you are. And as lovely as that sounds, you don't like you just the way you are. Do scary things. Do something. If you've plateaued, if you've stopped growing, do something new. Volunteer somewhere. Do something. Take up a new hobby. Do something. Take the first step. That's the last one. Take the first step. It might not even be a big step, but very often all God needs is a step from you to show that you're serious. And that first step will probably, should happen today. Send a text. Write an email. Cut something off. Start something new. When they were crossing the Jordan, put your foot in the water and the flow will stop. Could you not stop the flow and then I'll put my foot in the water? No. Your action shows me that you're doing something and that faith will, will, will move me to do something on your behalf. Some of us just need to take the first step. Whatever that is of getting unblocked from where we're blocked.